Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Law & Order Marathon winner is Courtney Streeter of Salt Lake City, Utah. Courtney will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at LawAndOrderPodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoie and Lisa Gallagher. And these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent SVU or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Criminal Intent, Season 2, Episode 17, Cold Comfort. Don't tell me they took his brain. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Slate's Mom and Dad Are Fighting Podcasts, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Kevin, I hope that you and I can podcast together forever. Well, if we can cryogenically freeze each other. <laughs> just our heads. May, just our heads. Maybe that will work. <laughs> Rounding out our panel is our special guest, the director of the Toronto True Crime Film Festival and criminal intent aficionado, Lisa Gallagher. Hello, Lisa. Hi. Tell us a little bit about the inaugural film festival. It's uh, June 8th through the 9th in Toronto. Give us a little, uh, some of the highlights and why people should come out. Uh, So yeah, it's a two-day true crime event. We uh, have five films. We also have three symposium events where we're going to have very cool people like a certain someone named Kevin, maybe. (coughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it's three days away. It's more exciting. Still plenty of time to buy a ticket (laughs) to get there. And you can get tickets online, correct? Absolutely. And you can get, uh, and I'm just going to jump in a little yeah. bit here, you could get tickets for individual shows, or you can get a, an all-access uh, all pass. Although I don't know how access, all-access-y that is, but it gets you in everything, right? You can access all of the events. <laughs> it's very literal. It's very literal. It's exactly what it means. All-access ought to mean like you can play with the projector. Like, that's all-access. <laughs> no. That's everything. You know what? Fair. I, I hope no one else thinks that or we're going to get in trouble. But I'm going to fill my own popcorn. Step aside. I have all access. Well, your pass is going to be a guest pass, so you can't you can't try that. But I guess not. <laughs> hey, you know, fans love their true crime as podcasts and as books and on TV networks. But how much of that Venn diagram overlaps with cinema? I mean, a lot. <laughs> Just I think that, that uh, you know, true crime media, everything is big, right? It's big in television. It's big in film. It's big in podcasts. It's big in writing. Everything. In terms of programming for us, um, like, we had a great selection of stuff, which was great. Like, we, we had a lot to work with. It wasn't like we had to settle on anything or, you know, there was a lot. There's a lot going on in film and true crime this year. 
And uh, what are you looking for? What is your one highlight that you're really looking for? Besides, of course, the symposium where <laughs> I will be giving my bullshit. Oh, I'm sure it's going to be standing room only for the Kevin <laughs> Flynn. Well, they're not putting out any chairs, so that's why. <laughs> There's just two attendees. They're standing yeah. though. So, yeah. Well, maybe this isn't fair because you've already seen all of the films. But which one are you most excited for an, an audience to see? I think our opening night film. It's called Abducted in Plain Sight. It is fucking bonkers. <laughs> that is the best way to describe it. It is. There's so much going on. The log line that we have for it is basically that a family has their neighbor is obsessed with their daughter. And he somehow kidnaps her twice. <laughs> like oh they God. get her back and then he <laughs> oh does it again. And I'm not going to tell you how, because it, that's part of the amazing bonkers of this film. But there's so much more that happens on top of that. that you, like every three minutes, you're like, what is going on? It's so... <laughs> there's going to be a lot of just like unfinished sentences in the audience of just people being like, what? What? Uh, <laughs> oh, that sounds great. <laughs> and of course, if you want more information, you want to get tickets, you can go to the website, which is Toronto True Crime Film Festival. <laughs> Dot com. That's a literal URL. That's literal. You cannot <laughs> yep. mess that one up. It's exactly what it is. <laughs> nice job. Nice job getting that URL. Now, Lisa, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. I mean, it's only Goran and Eames for me. I'm a yeah. I'm a criminal intent purist. I didn't really even watch the other ones at all. Wow. I, I, I've seen a few, like SVUs. I've seen a few originals, but... I never heavily watched. I couldn't even tell you the names beyond what I've learned on this podcast. Wow. <laughs> so so they're my they're my only they're my one and only. So Lisa, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. See, that's the thing about criminal intent is you kind of just have Deacons and Carver and they're like <laughs> placeholders. <laughs> like you could take them or leave them. They're kind of there. They're doing stuff, but like so am I allowed to answer no one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's not a whole lot of prosecution. We no. don't see that. Like, usually these episodes end with someone getting taken away in cuffs. That's kind of how it ends. Yeah, yeah, they just basically need Carver to come up with some bullshit uh, indictment so they can bring somebody into jail on false pretenses. Exactly, and hold them for no reason except for, like, a bluff reason? You mean, exactly. like, it happens in this episode? Yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> Okay, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Criminal Intent, Season 2, Episode 17, Cold Comfort. We see former U.S. Senator Randolph Kittredge on his deathbed and his son and daughter fighting over a codicil to his will. We cut to the boardroom of the Durning Foundation, where philanthropist Spencer Durning announces his son Nick will be his eventual successor in a scene probably completely unrelated to this crime at hand. <laughs> we catch up with Kittredge's daughter going into a restaurant bathroom where, faster than you can say, are you there, God, it's me, Margaret, <laughs> she's stabbed in the upper thigh and bleeds out on the floor. Her friend said a woman followed her in here. No description, just a brown leather coat. Well, it's a, uh, a single cut along the uh, femoral artery. It's very precise, no hesitation marks, no pro. The woman's body is packed in dry ice and flown to a cryogenics lab in Arizona. Her plan was to also have the senator frozen so they both could be reanimated in the future. But Jack Kittredge wins a court case to instead have his father buried at Arlington National Cemetery. 
But why the rush to have him cremated? Mm. Is it any of your business, Gorin? <laughs> the detectives learn an old bodyguard, and not the senator, is really Jack's father, a secret that could ruin his own political ambitions. They also discover that before the cremation, someone cracked the dead man's skull and removed his brain. Mm. Okay, well, I do like that, you know, right after this Judy Bloom-style murder, mm. a Gorn and Eames... Why do you call it Judy Bloom-style? Because she looks at her hand and there's blood on her hand and it's like reminiscent of periods to you or something? You, you like said that Margaret reference Yeah, too, I'm also so. confused on this reference. Yeah, yeah. No, I, mean, I just think right. you're being a little sexist right now. Women bleed from other places, you know. I know, but like... <laughs> The shot was, I don't want to say it was gratuitous, but they spent an awful long time with a shot of like this woman's bloody crotch and her hands. <laughs> it's true. Like, it really was a long shot. Well, it, yeah. it's true. And then my other question about that assassination yeah. was that how did that woman with a knife know she was going to go into the bathroom? I mean, that's not something you do every time when you go to meet a friend for a drink. No, I mean, the timing was perfect. It's like that guy who shot the second guy at uh, Raimondo's <laughs> in season 13 of Law and Order. Oh, well, there's a gun going on. I, mean, I may as well kill I, someone, too. I'm going to kill somebody as well. <laughs> true but like right after that happens so they're they're in the bathroom Gorn and Eames and they're kind of like imagining what the crime was we hung her purse on the hook here a leather coat would have just been over reach over and grab it no I think Miss Kitchen probably just put it on the floor no she hung it up right a girl thing so the purse is on the hook bullshit well no it's I <laughs> I love that because it's Gorn's one conceit that, yes, I know everything about AAA baseball teams in Mexico, yes. but I know nothing about women. But here's the reason I call bullshit, because how many times have we seen him walk into a room and get a whiff of some obscure perfume and been like, <laughs> hmm, that's jasmine and lavender, which is only made by an obscure perfumery, which is only sold in this one store. It's total bullshit. The other bullshit thing about that entire argument about whether or not she put her purse on the floor or hung it on the hook, yeah. and then Eames wins with the hook argument, it was a clutch with no strap. And therefore, neither one of those things happen. I guarantee she put it on the toilet tank because that's what you do with a clutch <laughs> when you go to a restaurant bathroom. Yeah. The only other thing is, depending on the size of the clutch, you can just kind of put it down your top as well. Oh, I do a lot of just shoving things into my shirt and then I'll find them later. What were they stealing? What was the deal with the stealing the purse? Was that ever wrapped up? Like why they took the purse? Make it look like a robbery? Oh, oh yeah. I That was confusing to me. And not a bathroom assassination yeah, attempt? Yeah, it was 100% a bathroom assassination <laughs> attempt. Again, now I actually I feel like Gorn, like it's like lady stuff that I didn't know about when you're telling me about <laughs> all the places you could stick your clutch in the stall when you're taking a pee. Again, I just think it's a fun... It, it, Gorn is sort of never going to concede anything about him being wrong about something or that he doesn't understand the intricacies of something that he's talking about. Yeah. And I just thought it was funny. And I don't think, not funny in like it was a stupid wrong move. I think they intentionally made, and I think D'Onofrio played it like very cool. It felt weird though. It, it felt, felt texturally, it stuck out, right? I mean, it just stuck out to me. But isn't Gorn like a little boy? <laughs> They have to give these opportunities so that Eames can come in and be sassy at him, right? That's true. <laughs> it's like there, there's an earlier episode where she notices that the skirt someone's wearing is like from a super specific year because she had it and she's so proud of herself. And he's just like, oh, OK, I guess you knew something <laughs> I didn't know then. I like it. I, I, I feel like it. it seems 
it seems like they're weird in for that character because he does know everything, but I like it because I like when Eames gets to to do that for that like put right. that sass out there on, on him. Right, and this is why it's like more more proof that he's never had a relationship, right? He's like never had a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. This little scene, right? Because he doesn't know what happens with handbags exactly. in the toilet. Exactly, and everybody who's ever had a girlfriend would know the answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so now they're going to ponder the decision to cremate the senator's body. Right? Mm. This happens in the squadron. They're wondering about this. Why is that... More suspicious than wanting to cryogenically freeze him. <laughs> I actually. Why is that the red flag? I don't know, but I actually think that. I mean, I knew immediately. Uh, you know, when they were talking about the um, that the guy was never. You know, the whole thing was never tested. Like, I knew immediately. I thought they telegraphed that he was not that guy's son. Like immediately. Really. And I was really worried that that was going to be a reveal at the end of the episode because I just it was just so super obvious to me. Like he didn't want. Uh, to, t- to to be tested for the disease, and he immediately had him cremated. I'm like, oh, he's not his son. Like I've seen this a million times and a million other things. And I was very relieved when Goran was immediately like, oh yeah, he must not be his son. As an audience member, I was like, I'm right with there, right with you there, Goran. I'm very relieved that I didn't have to like live with that the whole episode. I have to say, you guys could not have picked a more complicated episode for a more <laughs> exhausted person. <laughs> so. Honestly, I was barely following it the entire time. <laughs> I loved every second, just like I always do. But yeah, it took a lot of me. It's like pausing, going back and being like, oh, okay, I see. This is why that happened. Wait, well, you're like, this is criminal intent. I don't have to drive the car. I'm just going to sit in the back and go along for the ride. Right. I will tell you, there was one other like BS Goran moment in this episode. Yeah, just one. Well, it's another. It's another very typical thing that would like makes the the purse scene make no sense to mm-hmm. me because he does know everything. Like he's magically able to look at this old man and be like, "Oh, you're definitely Jack's father. <laughs> I recognize the chin." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Well, all right. Well, let's get to that. So, like, after forty years on a hunch, <laughs> right? They're able to locate and accuse the senator's bodyguard of fathering Jack. Mm-hmm. You were reassigned just before Jack was born. Yeah, I was bored. I wanted to be in D.C. where the action was. A different kind of action. Mr. Monaghan, this old picture isn't a a very good likeness of you. Now that I see you in person, your chin. Jack. Jack has your chin. No one knew. Not even the senator. No one. And he applied, well, nobody knew. Well, I mean, should like Gorn start working for the Inquirer because <laughs> forty years? Like, you know what? I have a hunch that maybe right. I mean, there's no evidence that like he's not not only is that he's not his son, but right. that like this bodyguard that even if they knew where he was, it's like it's like Gorn has seen this on TV before, and mm-hmm. he just makes guesses based on what he's seen on TV before. <laughs> That's how a lot of these things felt to me because it felt like. Uh, old hat, like line drawing that a regular person in the real world obviously would never make those connections. Like you wouldn't, right? You just wouldn't. No, no, you wouldn't <laughs> if you had a government job. And you're... <laughs> yeah. Now, just a reminder: they're investigating a woman stabbed in a in a bathroom. Right. They decide we're going to go up to the Catskills and find the bodyguard of a senator uh, who's already dead, and. Ask him whether he's the father of the son who, again, none of these people were in the bathroom getting murdered. (laughs) (laughs) 
I gotta say, first of all, I love that you're doing these little mini recaps in between to keep me <laughs> like in the right place. Is it helping? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, the only thing that I have written down about that entire scene is that at some point there's a line where he says a different kind of action and he bends over and I'm pretty sure he's just looking straight at that dude's dick. Like he's just like, I know what action you were up to and it was in there. It's so weird. <laughs> Down in there. Well, there were a bunch of is like. Is that why he always bends over sideways maybe. when he's looking at people? He's I don't actually know. checking out their well, package. Well, the other like really fun thing that Goran did, like this amazing piece of detective work he did, was when they went to the funeral home or whatever it was, and mm-hmm. they were like, "Where's the body going?" And the, and the guy's like, "I'm, I'm not going to tell you that." And he's like, "Well, I'm just going to follow the van drivers That's outside right. and ask them." <laughs> <laughs> what do you got in there? Dry ice? Must be taking on a hell of a road trip, huh? Just a JFK, and I got a private jet waiting. Private jet? Yeah. Hey, guys, where, where's the body going? A, what a genius piece of detective work that was. Yeah. I love when he has those, uh, like, where he's trying to just pretend he's having a casual conversation where he's not trying to get information <laughs> from people. He, it's like that. It reminds me of that, um, like that Steve Buscemi, like, how do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> like, he's just walking <laughs> out. I mean, like, hey, guys, what's up? What's the haps? It's just it's so unbelievable. I'm going to pretend to be a normal person. Yeah, he's gone undercover as normal person. <laughs> hey, guys, how about the weather? <laughs> we, have a, we have a Hey, It's That Girl. We do? Hey, it's the girl. Can you... Name the actress who plays Nick's fiance, Katie. No. <laughs> I know she looks familiar, but I can't name her. Sorry. All right, her name is Wendy Hoops. And it gets very tired in the evening. He has a, a medical condition, cerebral aneurysm. It's not life threatening. Uh, okay. Uh, sh- this is her first of four Law and Order Universe appearances. In fact, she was just on SVU this season. She played the mother in an episode called Send in the Clowns. Oh, my God. Which we talked about on the show. Where she got to deliver the best line in 19 years of SVU, which is, do the math, Jimmy. Do the math. That's right, Jimmy. You've been sleeping with your own daughter. You've been sleeping with your own daughter. It's her. It's her. Oh, God. What, what a, a great career. What a career she's had. Her parents must be very proud. Well, I think that should go on her sizzle reel, right? <laughs> I thought you were going to say that the um, way too cheerful funeral directress was the, uh, hey, it's that girl. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know what she did after that. She uh, went on to, I guess, maybe playing uh, morticians and <laughs> coroners and just kind of worked but her way up the death ladder. for a funeral director was she not the most cheerful you've ever seen blonde perky doesn't even mind when the private pathologist comes in and does her job for her like super cool with it the family brought in their own pathologist out of concern for mr kittridge's dignity which i totally get do you remember what the instruments look like that the pathologist used i saw him set up he had scalpels and retractors and a few instruments i'm not familiar with well, you remember what they looked like. I mean, you could sketch them. We can work over here. 
right. But then again, she doesn't know anything about what tools they're using. No, no, no. And I thought it was going in the direction of, I thought maybe they had collected some of his semen. That was what I was thinking it was going. And so in my note right here, she's like, oh, I'll just draw you a picture of the instrument they use. And in my notes, I wrote, sure, I can sketch that sperm collector for you. Because <laughs> that was just her affect. So so they don't have a photograph or anything, but Lisa Gorin asks the, the woman, can you draw a picture of the the instruments and then I will look up that drawing and see if I can determine this. So now he's projecting his super detection powers on people asking them to draw stuff. It used to be he could just tell people to smell things that he would interpret. <laughs> but now he's like, why don't you sketch this out and then I'm going to get a big book and look up your sketches. This works, of course, right? Gordon does a lot of looking stuff up in books this episode. And... <laughs> Which is weird in itself, because he usually just knows things, but he looks everything up, like, really easily, I feel like. Like, he has, like, all these books, and they have so many pictures, and he's just like, well, I got it. It's, I ha- there's one in each of these books. None, none of them are in the same book for some reason. Using a striker saw to cut through the cap, that's the top half of the skull, the skull cap can be pried loose by twisting a T-shaped chisel along the saw cut and tapping it gently with a bone mallet. They cut open his skull? If the dura membrane is tightly adhered, a malleable retractor will separate it from the brain. (laughs) (laughs) And just, of course, deducing that, well, this is a drawing of a some kind of uh, mallet. Yes. And it's like, well, obviously this was used to smack the side of the skull to make release the brain. Yes. Because that's the only thing that could possibly do. Well, he had if the, the sketch was right. He had the retractors too, which yeah. were used to separate the membrane from the brain. I mean, he was a, he had a, he had right. a book with good pictures. He read out like a whole procedure that was about taking out a brain, and he was like, "These are all <laughs> these are all relate. They're all listed right here in the like what you need <laughs> section." <laughs> What you need. Brain. It's like the Ikea instructions, right? Brainectomy for dummies. Need, exactly. You will need this. They're surprised that it's the brain, but they actually go into this, or at least Eames goes into this, thinking that they're going to retrieve a, a penile implant. Why did she think of that? Why does anyone need to retrieve that? <laughs> If you're gonna if you're gonna cremate the body, they're just afraid that like it's gonna be a bunch of ash and uh, a dick pump in and there. They don't want to have it bronzed. Yeah. They want to have it bronzed. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Let's do it. So what's so special about a politician's brain anyway? Mm. That he has one? (laughs) Well, is there anything unique about brain cell DNA? Nah. It's all the same DNA from head to toe. They could have used hair or blood. But they didn't. Something has to be remarkable about that brain. Enough to interest someone with the will and the resources to blackmail Jack Kittredge and kill his sister. Kittredge once took part in a polyp study funded by the Durning Foundation, but after someone got a hold of the research, the money stopped. Kittredge's 1976 presidential run fell apart because the senator was overly emotional and disoriented, a condition that got worse at night. But he later returned to the Senate and was considered one of the great minds of Washington. 
Gorin deduces that Kittredge suffered from early onset Alzheimer's, but somehow recovered. Because that's probable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meantime, Durning is caring for his son, Nick, who appears forgetful and disoriented. He's been pushing him to get engaged and have a baby, needing another heir to his empire. Nick believes he's being treated for a cerebral aneurysm. To test their theory, Gorn, Eames, and Carver bring Nick in to see what will happen to him at night. The old werewolf trick. (laughs) With his father looking on, Nick discovers his pills don't treat aneurysms. They treat Alzheimer's symptoms. Journey admits he wanted the senator's brain to study how he beat the disease, but Kittredge's daughter had other plans. Really stupid other plans. (laughs) Because she stood between him and that brain... The philanthropist had her killed. Mm, okay. Shame on him. Okay, so Gorn, <laughs> Gorn, who we have established, has no formal medical training that we know of, diagnoses Senator Kittredge as, as having Alzheimer's in the 70s and then recovering all after watching a videotape. Yeah. How are we not embarrassed for him? <laughs> it, he brings it up so many times about how it's like an aberration and it's not, like, it's an, oh, basically impossible it's like, what, why would that be the first thing your brain went to then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially because, yeah, he just kind of looks kind of zoned out. Because Deacon says, like, he thinks he's high, doesn't he? Yeah. He says something about yeah. him being stoned. Yeah, that's like the reasonable explanation. I was like, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, wait, wait, wait. Hear me out. He had relapsing, remitting Alzheimer's disease. It only happened at night. I mean, like around 4.20. Now, I have to... Stay with me on this. After 4.20, he started to get disoriented. Mm. I think it's Alzheimer's. Yes. Because it disappeared later. Yeah, yeah. He'd have a sandwich and he was fine. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there is this throwaway plot line about Jack Kittredge running for his father's old U.S. Senate seat and then being blackmailed about his parentage in order so that the, the, the mysterious people could get his father's brain. Yeah. So how is being a love child any less a political liability than having your dead sister be cryogenically frozen? I don't know. I didn't get to understand any of this. I also don't understand Goran's whole idea of like when someone said Kittredge was a great, you know, a, a great American. He's like, what do you mean? He cheated on his wife. And it's like. So did everybody else. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, uh, okay. Is that the new criteria for that someone was not a good senator was they cheated on their wife? Well, it's, it's obvious that the wife cheated everyone. on him. The wife, the, the wife cheated on him with the with the bodyguard. Yeah, with the chin. Who was obviously checking out her body. <laughs> it was her weak genes that made it happen, Kevin. It was her weak genes. I'm glad that you just told me it was a throwaway plot because I've <laughs> up until this point was trying to figure out why that mattered at all yeah <laughs> and yeah. it turns it out doesn't. it doesn't so that's great i don't have to worry about that anymore cross it <laughs> off <laughs> yeah. Yeah. okay now how is this for an acl lawsuit ready you brought in a wealthy white man as a witness to something you know he didn't witness yep. and then held him overnight to see if he would have alzheimer's yeah I guess you were pretty much counting on him having Alzheimer's and not thinking and not remembering what his rights were. <laughs> oh, right? that's so he, he'll forget it happened to yes. him is what you're saying. Exactly. Oh, that's horrible. <laughs> well, that's what the dad says, right? Like when when you have the scene where we see him having the like Alzheimer's meltdown where he thinks he's a little boy. Yeah. And the dad says to the caregiver. The, his afternoon pills are still here. He forgot to take them. He forgot? That's what he does. He forgets. It's your job to remember. 
he forgets. That's the thing he does. He I'm forgets. Like, oh my god. <laughs> It's so callous. It's so cold. So, Lisa, any doubt that his civil rights were trampled on by being brought in as a as a lab rat? I mean, I've got to imagine that they were. I'm Canadian, right? So I don't know what kind of crazy laws you guys have, but it oh. seems like something you shouldn't have been doing, for sure. No. Yeah, no. We need to apologize to uh, Mr. Trudeau for all of this <laughs> shit we're doing. Yeah. So, but remember again. They bring in the guy, thinking to, wanting to see if he will perform his Alzheimer's magic, right, right. and they are investigating the bathroom murder of a completely unrelated person. So this is the question I have in this episode. Yeah. They bring him in because they really want to bait the dad. I mean, that's really the reason why they brought him in. Yeah. They okay. do wonder if he's in on it or not, and they kind of figure out, when, when they figure out he's not in on it, which is when he's in the cell, yeah. and they realize like he doesn't know, so then they use him as bait for his dad. And then they go through this whole charade where they basically make the son discover how he's been deceived. Okay. Why don't they just tell him? All right. <laughs> Seriously, why don't they just tell him? Okay, so Gorn pulls out the illustrated pharmaceutical <laughs> pill identifier. All right? Yes. I've looked this up. It has 1,200 pages mm-hmm. and lists 10,000 drugs. Yep. Different photos and with, with each drug. He opens it up right to the pill he's looking for. <laughs> And then he gives it to Jack, who is starting to fade because of his early onset Alzheimer's, and he immediately finds the pill that he's looking for. <laughs> oh, what's wrong? Well, um, well, you can see in the book here that has pictures of exactly what the, the pill is, but your pill doesn't look anything like the one in the, in the book. You can see that the one in the book is blue and, and yours is yellow. You know, if he was looking for alprazepam, um, is that a real pill? No, he was. He specifically was taking lorazepam, and I wrote that lorazepam. down because okay. I have taken that many times, and I'm pretty sure <laughs> the pills are supposed to be much smaller than that one. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know exactly what he was giving him. But even if he had the name of the pill mm-hmm. on the bottle, even mm-hmm. though it's the wrong pill inside, yeah, he'd still be able to. Oh, wait a minute! Look at this pill. Yes, it doesn't have the same name, but I don't know. On page 457. <laughs> It looks the same as the one on 923. Well, that's a trick you can only pull on somebody with early onset Alzheimer's, Kevin. I mean, Every this is page like, had that pill on like, it, is that what you're saying? No, this is Goran like, had this entire conceit where he was like, you wouldn't believe what prisoners try to get away with. So let me bring in my big book of meds and we'll cross-reference all of your pills. <laughs> and the poor Nick sitting there who's like fading because as his dad said, he forgets things. That's what he does. Um, <laughs> he's just like, sure, that sounds good. He doesn't think like this is like a, a multimillionaire who's going to like inherit leadership of foundation. He doesn't think for a second like maybe my lawyer should be here for this conversation. It never <laughs> occurs to him like ever. Yeah, he's already gone to the trouble of having someone killed mm. uh, so they could you know work this out. And he's like, uh oh. Uh, well, the cops are in there with all of his medication. I wonder if this is going to go well. <laughs> so, uh, Lisa, we do find out uh, that Mr. Uh, Durning admits that he uh, was responsible for the killing and they're going to have him arrested. But still, uh, no one actually concerned about the actual crotch stabber. We never come back to that at all. Was I, I mean, it's weird, too, because I feel like if it had been just a regular messy murder... I wouldn't have really thought about it, but like it's a really messy murder. It, well, but you know what I mean, like the preciseness, the precision, and yeah. the very like you're like okay, this is like a skilled assassin. 
I want to know more about that, as opposed to just someone who, you know, stabbed her in the chest or something. Meanwhile, the stabber is still out there. Yeah. It's just a given that, like, rich people can hire this particular stabber, and this particular stabber will just keep on stabbing, and it's not her. It's the person who hired her that's the problem. Yeah, but, you know, now that she can't advertise on Craigslist to be a, a stabber, a lady stabber. artery stabber. What? No, she puts that on her resume. She was like, you remember yeah. that bathroom one? That was me. That was me. Some of my work. Look how fast this is my and early work. precise I can be. And I didn't even get any blood on my leather jacket. Yeah. Bathroom killings are my specialty. <laughs> I do love that she was so confident in where she stabbed her that she just left before she even fell down. Yeah. yeah. Like she was like, that's going to work. I know for sure it will. And she just left. I did it. It's not him that wanted to live forever. It was her because she's the one who wrote the codicil into the will like when he was already like on his deathbed. And she was the kind of adult woman who calls her dad, daddy. It's okay, daddy. I've taken care of everything. We're going to be together again. Daddy? I think that was weird. She was like, Daddy, someday we'll be together again. Yeah. And he immediately dies. She says that, <laughs> and that's when he dies. He's like, I am so out of here. <laughs> Peace I'm out, girl. I'm sick of your daddy worship bullshit. <laughs> I'm out. You're not my daughter either. <laughs> but imagine how pissed off that sister's going to be when she comes back to life <laughs> 700 years in the future and find out that her father was cremated. I think she'd be more pissed that she has a giant hole in her leg. Yeah, she's got a limp now. <laughs> in my quest to find anyone online who had written a plot summary of this that I would understand, I instead came across an entire treasure trove of criminal intent fan fiction. Oh, no. <laughs> and there's, there's one that is meant to be like a continuation of this scene. The only thing that happens in it is that Goran is upset that he has done this to Nicholas, and he goes up on the roof, because that's where his sad place is, apparently. (laughs) And Eames sweet-talks the janitor into giving her a key to the roof so that she can go join him. And Mm -hmm. then it's super cold, so he's like, let's go back inside. Then they go get hot chocolate, and then they come back and sleep in side-by-side beds in the precinct somewhere. And that's that's the whole story. So their sexy fan fiction is completely platonic. That's right, because that is as sexy as they could potentially be. I love that the fans have taken it to such a dirty place with them. Meantime, people are writing Barbara Carisi fan fiction. Dirty fan fiction, yes. Barisi. Yes. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. 
Okay, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode is inspired by the controversy around the cryonic freezing of Baseball Hall of Famer Ted Williams. After his death in 2002, Williams' two youngest children moved to have him cryonically preserved at an Arizona laboratory with the hope the three could reunite again someday. Williams' oldest daughter, Bobby Jo, sued her half-siblings, saying their father wanted to be cremated. She claimed the family pact, which was written on an ink-stained napkin, was a forgery. The signature was the one Williams used to sign autographs with and not the one he used to sign for contracts. Experts believed the pact was written around the signature after the slugger's death. But, faced with mounting legal fees, Bobby Joe had to drop the suit. Years later, a whistleblower at the laboratory claimed the ballplayer's corpse had been abused by staff. He said William's head was mistakenly decapitated and balanced on a can of bumblebee tuna to keep it from sticking to the bottom of the tank. The laboratory denies these charges. John Henry Williams died of leukaemia two years after his father. His body was frozen and placed alongside the splendid splinter with the hopes of being reaminated by scientists in the future. So that wasn't the lab that all accidentally everything got defrosted and all the, that stuff was ruined? I don't know. I mean, there's not a lot of those labs. So I have a question about this Ted Williams story. Yeah. I've always wondered it because... I've read a lot about Ted Williams, mm-hmm. and apparently he was a dick. Oh, I know people worked with Ted Williams. So, yeah. like, he why, was really, does, he, why does kids want him to come back to life later? Because he was a prick. Well, if he came back to life, he could sign more autographs, <laughs> and they could make more money. How Wouldn't you like a fresh autograph from a 700-year-old baseball player? Uh, not if he was a dick. I don't know. I think if, <laughs> if Ty Cobb or... Honus Wagner was around, and all of a sudden, like, I came back to life. Have a baseball, kid. It's just weird. It's so super weird. Okay, so now, just like in the episode, there was a fight uh, over an addendum to the will. Who believes that the document on the napkin was legit? I'm going to say not legit, based mostly on the the autograph thing. I'm thinking about... The fact that someone would have a different auto- like signature for autographs and then one for like legal papers, that's yeah. really smart. I feel like if you're a ce- like a celebrity or someone that often signs things, because yeah. someone could that, totally just say that you signed all these papers. That is the cerebral detective answer. The fact that this was written on a fucking napkin. <laughs> I want to be frozen in perpetuity. Yeah. Wrote it on a napkin. <laughs> kind of, yeah, doesn't really show like a whole lot of stupid. forethought. Yes. It's stupid. It's just really stupid. It's stupid that they wanted to wake up in 700 years with a prick, and it's stupid <laughs> that they would pretend this napkin was a document. It's stupid. <laughs> now, the whistleblower at the lab was actually a top executive, mm. and he said that the accidentally decapitated head no, here's the thing. Now, from what yeah. I understand about cryogenics, yeah. the fake science of cryogenics, yeah. is that you can either freeze your whole body, which right. costs a lot, yeah. or for a lot less money, yeah. you can freeze just your head with the hope that someday they'll be able to take your head and put it on a different body and you'll be able to come back to life. Yeah. Just so long as... <laughs> Just so long as the person who has that body doesn't have the same contract. But, yeah, the idea of just going with the head is good because of compounding interest. But um, 
Uh, yeah, he he originally went for the full body, uh, the full body. Yes, where you're 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 hung upside down by your ankles. Yes, in the in the tank. Yes, um, and the idea that what's so funny to me is the idea that like I know that. In some of these cases, like the, you know, the whole plate has been defrosted. So, like, all the tissue is ruined. It's like, guys, it was already ruined. The people are dead. (laughs) Like, if you think you can reanimate them when they have had cancer or whatever and then died, but you don't think you can reanimate them if they've been defrosted and refrozen, like, that's kind of on you and your future, your imagined future. Yeah. It's not really on science. (laughs) Okay, so... So the, okay, the head was accidentally decapitated. I don't know. That's a, a strongly worded letter, I think, to the boss <laughs> after that. So they placed it upside down on a can of bumblebee tuna, so it wouldn't stick to the bottom of the tank. Right. But it did stick to the can of bumblebee tuna. <laughs> so is that the official thing they're supposed to do? Like, would they just have a stack of tuna cans that they like? <laughs> I don't. I I thought I read that it was kind of like a ad hoc. Like, we need to MacGyver Jerry, this. Yeah. Just seems like there should already be a tool for that. <laughs> like yeah. something. If, after seven hundred years, you probably should remove the if label. You're paying a million dollars for this or whatever. Jeez. There should be a special tool. <laughs> 89-cent can of tuna shouldn't be... Okay. The the can is stuck to his head. Uh, So one of the workers attempted to remove it by swinging a wrench at it batting practice style. Mm -hmm. And his skills were not the same as Teddy Ballgames because he repeatedly struck the head, sending frozen chunks of skull and brain all over the room. Hmm. I'm just going to say this. Yankees suck. (laughs) So real question... Why was the head out of the can to begin with? That's an excellent question. Well, I think maybe they said something about, we got to get this tuna maybe, can maybe I don't should, know. Maybe we should replace the tuna can with an actual tool designed for this, A. Who wants to see Ted B, Williams' head? I will say again, if you think you can someday reanimate somebody because you have just their head, why wouldn't you also think you could someday reanimate them if you had also hit said head with a wrench <laughs> at some point while it was still frozen? Not just tapped. I mean, like, I mean, elbow up, shoulders straight, right. swinging through all the way. Right, right. Going to the opposite field with the tuna can on someone's <laughs> head, and no, that crack of the bat is not actually aluminum. Yeah, it's frozen skull. Yeah, um, that's bad. Okay, now Lisa, there was an actually there was another rip from the headlines element that maybe as a Canadian you might not have picked up on. Now, aside from there was an obvious nod to President Reagan's Alzheimer's. In 1972, Maine Senator Ed Muskie's presidential campaign unraveled after he appeared to cry during a speech defending himself and his wife from some vicious newspaper editorials. He was attacked in the paper over what what was later determined to be a a fake letter. This was a dirty trick that the Nixon campaign had done on this Democrat, where they planted a fake letter in which a child said that Muskie told him that no— we do not have Negroes in Maine, but we do have Canucks. Ooh. And this was supposed to stir outrage among the French-Canadian voters who lived in Kevin, New Hampshire. Kevin, Canadian on the line <laughs> well, right now. This is what I want to ask. Oh, my God. As a Canadian, are people offended by the term Canuck? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, but <laughs> I don't want to speak for all of Canada. There's a lot of people up here. <laughs> <laughs> I think hockey fans in Vancouver would be okay with the name Canuck. Yeah, just like seeing as their team is the v- Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> or am I wrong? Yeah, I I have always thought that was a fun, dirty trick. I maybe at the time it was different. I don't know. I mean, maybe the time the term had a different connotation. I don't know. But the Muskie reference was 
amazing and hilarious if you know that little bit of presidential history and New Hampshire politics history, except they had him do it in Concord, which is like right down the street from where you both work. You work right across from that building where they had the fake scene. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't actually that building. It was no, the it was fake not. and the fake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not. But it was very fun, right? A little fun detail they threw in there. It was. It was. So he, he Lisa, he started crying. Well, it's, he appeared to cry, right? It was snowing and he put his, his hand not to his show, eye. Not in the show, in the real life story. Mm-hmm. Right, in the real life story. It was sort of he fell apart. They they said, "Oh, he started to cry. He doesn't have the you know the the mental uh, toughness to have his finger on the button to be leader of this country." I don't know. Can you imagine today someone who couldn't be a leader of a nation because they weren't <laughs> mentally stable? I feel like it sh- it should be the opposite. You should have to cry to get into any mm. kind of politics. They should be like, no, we need to check that you have emotions first. <laughs> That's right. But now, are we sure that he wasn't just stoned? <laughs> we are not sure. We are not sure. It's just so stoned that you start crying, you know. Isn't it much more damning <laughs> that the wife like leans over and gives him to the answer to the question and the other Very person Very Nancy Reagan ask, yeah. If you're if you're elected, will you support Roe v. Wade? Uh she's like, I will uphold the law of the land. I will uphold a lot of land. That to me is a little bit more damning. A little bit more. It was totally not subtle. Okay, Rebecca, last question. Would you like to be frozen only to wake hundreds of years in the future with your father? Oh, my God, no. No, no. No, 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 no. And can we please end the show on that note? Yeah. I don't think you want to go to dinner. That is going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Lisa Gallagher. How can our listeners learn more about the Toronto True Crime Film Festival? Uh, we do have a website, which you mentioned earlier, TorontoTrueCrimeFilmFestival.com, which is the longest thing I could have possibly got. Don't worry, I covered but it. But memorable. <laughs> we have a Facebook page. Uh, our Twitter handle is T-O True Crime, And our Instagram is also the super long Toronto True Crime Film Festival. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And I'm really looking forward to coming up for my symposium. It's on the rise of armchair detectives. I wish I could be there. Well, you cannot, Rebecca. (laughs) Oh. You will not be at the film festival, but if people want to reach out to you, how can they follow you? I am at Ted Williams was a dick. No, (laughs) I am at at Reb on Twitter and Instagram. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Congratulations to promotions director Lily Flynn on her graduation from high school. Yay! Yay. Still have to get those uh, those magnets out, though. To get ad-free episodes of These Are Their Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Get your first month free at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act fair use exemption for criticism and commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. If you want to know what episodes we're talking about in our upcoming shows, go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. 
They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.